Mr. Rainwater. Yes, Joe. You have a, I'm going to call it successful webtoon, uh, webcomic. Well, I appreciate um, it. <laughs> when you were designing it, obviously we've talked about, you know, building characters in the past with naming them and, yep. you know, coming up with faults and all that kind of stuff. Really coming up with ideas on how you do it and sub characters, antagonists, the whole nine yards. Um, what something we haven't talked about here is the world in which that operates. So like for a filmmaker, for me, sometimes it's easy. I can just default and I'm like, Oh, real world done. Right. <laughs> uh, for you, uh, in a comics illustration, cartoon medium, you have to define the world stylistically, first of all, um, right. because you know, it has to look like whatever you're hand-eye coordination decides it looks like uh but then you have to decide colors you have to decide you know um how tall things are how short things are how deep things go how angular things are if you want to get all fucking oh, Tim yeah. burton on it the whole nine yards for sure, for sure um and that's just the tip of the iceberg uh past that you have a fantasy world in which your characters are operating um so I'm curious to know from you, when you were building this world, uh, what was your first step? What was like the, the, the way you approached designing the world in which these characters and the story would unfold? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a great question because for something like Trailer Park Warlock, especially considering the very first season, uh, the first season I didn't really put that much thought into it and then it became more prominent as I went on. And so you winged it. Uh, yeah, because the first season I was just exploring the characters and I was setting up little things here and there that would make it distinct from just like, you know, everyday life. And so season two was the season where I actually thought about world building and I started it from a historical perspective. So I just thought about what what's the timeline of this world? What happened? Uh, what were the events that took place? And the way that I approached it was this is basically pretty much the same, same most, most of the way timeline, but there are little changes here and there. And so the big change was that I would describe it as um, there was like a big split where in the, in, in our timeline, in this world's timeline, the big split was things were just more occulty. Things were more pagan. More, things were more, um, like instead of the Masons being a secret society, they were more overt and um, there was more of a deliberate emphasis on um, occult magic and witchcraft and all that stuff in the world. So from that, I kind of was able to build, I was able to build something more cohesive out of that. And I liked, I mean, for me, my main thing was when when making that world was that I wanted something that was enough like the world that we lived in that a lot of the humor could land, right? Because right. there is still a lot of humor that is like just kind of day-to-day bullshit kind of humor, you know, like uh, work-a-day life, um, just, you know, like working class type humor basically 90s a lot of 90s nostalgia type stuff um but i also wanted there to be like just enough of a twist so that it it isn't just like the exact same world Hmm. and that allows me to kind of do things that are like you know have having the god of discord selling um like like financial guru type books on tv and uh having something like a a a collectible card game turn into like a children's cult sort of thing (laughs) and so that's i think that's the best that's the best way i can describe how i approach with trailer park warlock now like something like um a, a different title like garage raja that was built from the ground up to be completely different sort of environment from the world that we live in, in the sense that it's not at all like 
the United States of America, you know, it's like some totally different kind of place and has totally different um, sensibilities in, in some extent. I mean, it's not, it's not as intense as like the Lord of the Rings or, you know, Star right. Wars or something Yeah. where it's like Star Wars is like a completely different fucking world. Yeah. You know what absolutely. I mean? Worlds. Yeah. Yeah, worlds, exactly. Completely different universe, essentially. Galaxy, whatever the fuck. Uh, anyway, point being, like, I've always liked building worlds where it's a lot like our world, so there's that uh, there's that note to relate on. Right. But then finding all the things that I can adjust and make different. So, like, I guess another, uh, another way I could explain this example, have you happened to see uh, the movie Love and Monsters? by any chance no i feel like i should though i thought it was going to be a really stupid movie and then i watched it and i really loved it and it's basically like um a post-apocalyptic movie sort of it, but it's not like particularly realistic in its post-apocalypticness it's like something happens and the world gets taken over by these these monsters and so everybody is sort of living in um their own little colonies to keep themselves safe you know and people don't really travel between these colonies they don't really know what's going on very much and it's very much it's it's sort of like zombie apocalypse meets pokemon basically <laughs> okay it's a, it's a really it's a really interesting mixture of things that sounds it's fun little, it's very funny it's a little bit enough in the future that there's like ai and robots and so that has its own it has a very unique um atmosphere to it and that's why i'm bringing that up because when talking about world building uh part of the point of world building is uh so first of all it's creating a mood it's creating an atmosphere and then the second part point of it is to create a character out of the environment because okay. that's gonna be the thing that your care that's the going to be one of the major things that your characters right that motivate your characters that give them reason to do what they're doing so like in love and monsters the main character his entire like you know reason for what he's doing anything is to go see an ex-girlfriend who lives like you know like a hundred miles or something away from him and he has to like survive all these monsters to get to her and that's the entire story I say that there's a little bit of extra after that. Right. Of course, that yeah. kind of flips everything on its head. So, um, so in that particular story, the antagonist is the environment. Essentially all his growth is based on his encounters with the monsters in his, in this environment, but also just, you know, kind of a, a man versus nature sort of thing which is a pretty classical sort of story structure, Absolutely. right? Uh, another great example would be like Hatchet, a story about, um, you know, somebody who crash lands in a plane in the middle of a forest and has to survive. Um, there's tons of different other stories like that, right? What is that? What is that? Um, there's like three different types. It's like man versus man, man versus self. Is the third one man versus nature? That's right. Yeah. So it's interesting that you bring that up to me because I've never thought of the environment as being the antagonist. Like I've thought about the antagonist being like, I don't know if, if I ever quantified it as an antagonist, but it was just like, Oh, this story is about survival. Like that's just yeah. the way I looked at it. But I never thought of it in terms of the environment being the antagonist. That actually is opening up a lot of chapters in my brain all of a sudden. Well, I'm like, because Ooh. for a very long time in human history, nature has been kind of our main antagonist. In it the sense literally of... is right now for yes! me because by the time <laughs> this podcast will have launched, uh, I will have faced and hopefully survived unscathed a category one hurricane coming straight at me. So uh, yeah, that's a very good way to look at it. I never it, thought of that. It's it's a different lens to look at it because then you can start defining the environment as a character and looking at it like, okay, what are the flaws? What are its strengths? What does it want? Why did why is it like this? Like the, all those things that you would do into the same old mustache twirling guy who puts the damsel in distress on the train tracks. 
if you yep. apply that process to an environment, you can make it an antagonist. And I never really thought to do it like that, but that's actually kind of brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, stories about the desert, right? You know, there are, if you're somebody who grows up in that environment, you know how to deal with it. But if you're somebody who has no idea, it's like that's the antagonist. That's that become or like something like a forest on one hand, you could look at a forest as being this peaceful, serene place, a place of retreat and reclusiveness. But most people, when they're, they don't have the technology, when they don't have the know-how of how to survive in the forest, it suddenly becomes fucking... A death trap. Yeah, sure. exactly. Exactly. So um, I I'm definitely have always been interested in world building as a mechanic in storytelling, Part of the reason why I got interested in a story like Lord of the Rings uh, and part of the reason why a lot of people get disinterested, right, in Lord of the Rings because it, it uh, Tolkien gets a little too caught up into it within the That's telling fair. of the story. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, for people I who do love, know what you mean. For, as for someone who's who, tried to read Lord of the Rings in the past and got like 12 pages in before they said, fuck it. Yes, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Because you get, you know, it's hard to get into the actual meat and potatoes of the characters because you're constantly getting derailed into, oh, by the way, here's this long apocryphal story about, you know, some guy's uncle who, you know, happened to come into contact with whatever. And then here's here's stories about dwarves and dwarf culture and all this other stuff. So, like, I, I question if that's good writing. I know it, I know it, I know I could get crucified for saying that about something like Lord of the Rings. But to me, that's not efficient. You know what I mean? It's, like maybe that's oh, just my modern sensibility where I, I want to kill 16 birds with the same stone. But sure. like, I think that's, that's kind of like the mentality a filmmaker has to traffic in because everyone complains when the movie goes over two hours, even at two hours, yeah. everybody gets yeah. annoyed. Like if you hit two and a half hours, they're like, this better be fucking good. Three hours, sure. even Martin Scorsese gets, you know, lit up on the internet by people for making a three hour movie. And <laughs> That you know what I mean? It, it, we just don't have that that um, that retail space to maneuver in. We have yeah. anywhere between ninety and one hundred and twenty minutes, and that's what people want from us, plain and simple. If it's any longer, bro, where's your TV series at? Where I can stop thirty minutes in, or I can binge it six hours. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's the kind of uh, world that I work in. So I mean, maybe that's why I think like that, but. Uh, I don't know. I think that the the world building has to be through the plot, through the character, through the the problems that arise. Yep. You know what I mean? Like that's the way to reveal it as opposed to, hey, let's take a tangent. And yeah. I know that thing is like something that's prevalent in like video games now with like side quests and all that kind of jazz. Sure. And that's great. You're really getting your bang for your buck with something like a video game. But in like movies and TV, that's like one way trip for someone to change the channel. That's like the oh, worst yeah. thing in the world. Well, and here's the other thing is there are ways to portray like to portray the world that you're trying to build without getting too in the weeds. Right. So right. an example I love to bring up is, uh, is speed racer, speed racer, the Wachowski movie, you know, mm. That's a whole different kind of world from our own, right? And yes. it never goes out of its way to have to explain all that much about what's going on in it. You you figure it out pretty quick. Like yeah. everybody's fucking into racing in this crazy world. <laughs> and like everything is oriented around that one thing. And that's actually like a very it's a very particularly uh Japanese mechanic in terms of telling a lot of stories, because like Speed Racer's not the only one like that. Like, uh, fucking, uh, the manga Naruto is basically Harry Potter, but everybody's ninjas. Uh, One Piece, everybody's pirates. Like, I can go on and on and on. Like, the, the Pokemon, that, everybody's a Pokemon trainer yeah, or a gym leader exactly. or a, a nurse for Pokemon or, a, yeah, it's just that's so, the world. It's a kind of world building where they get very. They get very particular about focusing on one mo motif and just sort of like say, well, what if the entire world was like oriented around this one motif? What would that be like? And so Speed Racer, right? Like I was saying, the whole motif is like, well, what if everybody's just really into these crazy fucking 
you know, car races. Yeah. And so everything becomes focused on, you know, the economy is based on this, you know, the family uh, speeds families entirely. Their entire life is geared around, you know, building cars, racing cars, et cetera, yep. et cetera. So um, I guess the, the first thing to start off with then when talking about, you know, building a world in a story is figuring out like what is the most important thematically, what's the most important thing in the story, right? Yep. And then um, building around that. So I don't know, Jeff, if you have any input or thoughts into like our examples in terms of ways to think about, you know, what is that core mechanic to build a story from and when you're building a world? Well, it's weird because like you saying it, that you should start with that when you're building the world. Um, I, I don't know if you necessarily have to start with it, but it definitely sure. needs to be part of it because sure. for me, um, so like with haunted, uh, one of the big questions about whether, uh, the, the, the whole film is based around is whether or not what's happening is actually happening. Like if there's honest to God, werewolves or vampires or monsters killing people or not. So when I approach the world for that, it has to be very grounded, um, in every aspect, like everything has to be thought out in, in terms of that world. So if it, it has to be our world. So yeah. if it was a vampire, what would a vampire look like in this day? How would the vampire survive in this day and age? Like how, like the days it's not Halloween, what the fuck is the werewolf doing? Like yeah. things like that have to be thought about, not necessarily worked into the story, um, but then they can be reflected somehow subtly one way or the other um, in the clothes choices that I make in the way that the creature design looks, you know what I'm saying? Like all that kind of stuff can start to resonate. And that comes from the world that it's set in. Um, there's another story that I'm working on right now uh, where I started with a title and it was just, it was a title that hooked me. And of course being a horror Halloween guy, um, it was called uh, the, the title just came to me and it was called cemetery sweethearts. And from that, they just I, I forget where I even thought it up from. Probably one of the main many ideas that comes to me while I was mowing the lawn. And <laughs> <laughs> there's a cemetery near my house. Um, I had this idea. I was like, well, what ha what would happen if there were ghosts that were buried in the the cemetery that you oh. know hadn't gotten married when they uh, died or yeah. you know till death do you part? And then I started thinking about it. Well, if you could you part after you were dead and you were a ghost? Would you, would you still be stuck with the, the same person? What if they didn't die at the same time? Blah, blah, blah. So then I started thinking about all of the dynamics of how that would operate. And I started thinking to myself, okay, if I have two ghosts in a cemetery and, I, you know, it's going to be like a romantic comedy set at Halloween just about ghosts trapped yeah. in this little world of, of ghost town, uh, the cemetery, what rules would that have to operate in? And... You know, I started coming up with all these ideas like you only get certain things. Uh, you only wear the same thing like a cartoon that you were buried in. So you can't change clothes because you don't have any other clothes. Like yeah. um, if people buried your iPod with you, then you could still have your iPod uh, in in death. You could still listen to music if you had if your subscription was active when you died. <laughs> the subscription maintains while you're dead. But if your subscription was was finished when you died, then you don't have any music to listen to, and it's just a hunk of junk. Yeah. Long of the short, uh, I got to the point where I was thinking about. I'm like, well, there's no conflict in this. There's two ghosts, and they have no conflict. Okay, they like each other, so why don't they just be ghost? You know soulmates or whatever soulmates no pun intended um and then i started thinking about there needs to be an, a, a problem here and i started thinking about this concept of moving on like when a ghost dies there's a whole idea of you know unfinished business or you know going moving on to either heaven or hell or whatever like that and i was thinking well yeah. what what would be the the reason why ghosts would hang out in the cemetery and the thought occurred to me when I was driving by the actual cemetery, there's the big gate, right? That everybody goes under the arch. And I thought to myself, well, what if when a ghost decides to go through those arches, 
they either there's like glitter that sparkles and like gold gold sparkles that happen or whatever and you know they went to heaven or a poof flames and you know they went to hell so there's this whole question of am i was i a good person will i go to heaven or hell will my spouse go to heaven or hell do i am i stuck here this whole idea of transition uh started to become prevalent so immediately because of that i started thinking well i need to make the one of the characters transgender what if the girl character is a trans woman or trans girl and the guy is has done something awful maybe he was a drunk driver and he killed somebody and that's how he died too but you know he's caught up on the idea that he's not going to heaven because he killed somebody and he blah 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 but then you have a transgender character who's talking about you know the moment they had to take a brave step to change their life and they had to transition to something and they had to do stuff you know what i mean like yeah all that stuff started to fall into place because i had built the world already and i had figured out the character and i had figured out the arc and all the stuff that needs to work so really what i'm down to now is my ass just needs to sit down and write it the pro- <laughs> the only thing i'm hung up about is if i'm allowed to use a trans character in a thing and speak uh for that particular community uh, I don't know if I am or not, but I plan on speaking with some transgender individuals when I get the opportunity, uh, if I ever get the opportunity to go back to work. Uh, but I do know some trans people that I could reach out to and kind of get their two cents on stuff that maybe I can work in some of their experiences. And yeah, that's a great way of but, approaching that for sure. Uh, but, go on, Joe. But overall, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is by building the world, coming up with the rules in which that world operated – the theme became apparent to me because the theme became apparent to me. A character became apparent to me. A conflict became apparent to me. Like everything yeah. started to fall into place. And then also on top of that, it just sounds really fun. Yeah. Because no, I like, I really like the concept as you're talking about, it, but please go on. Like I was just thinking about little things that I could play around with, like especially with a trans person in a cemetery. So, like I started thinking about, well, maybe the trans girl, like her parents didn't approve of that and um, they held like a separate funeral or whatever for like the other LGBTQ people that were going to like say their goodbyes to her. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, you guys have to go second. We get to say goodbye first to Thomas or whatever. And then like everybody got to come in and say goodbye to her as her. And maybe her friends were like, I think she would like this wig. And then the other person was like, no, I think she liked this wig. She was better as a blonde. Well, let's put them both in the casket. So then suddenly the trans girl in the cemetery, because you can only use the things you were buried with, is the only girl who can switch outfits, which suddenly Ah. makes her the envy of all the other girls in the cemetery. Like, uh, you know, maybe the cemetery hasn't had some people for a while uh, buried in it because a lot of people are getting cremated or something that I can make up. So she's the only one with an iPod. Suddenly, that everybody can listen to music. So the bitter old couple that was very transphobic or you know homophobic, yeah. suddenly they they're just dying to listen to their song. It was an oldie or something like that, yeah. and you know maybe she lets them listen to it, and it kind of bridges a gap between two generations. Like all these different scenarios started popping in my head, like populating, yeah. and I was like, wow, I can really kind of explore all this little nitty gritty and I can make jokes and I can have fun opportunities for moments to actually like demonstrate the idea of making changes in your life and transitioning from being one type of person to another or stages of your life and stuff like that. So it it really, the the world building the world was what opened up everything to me. It was that that was what was fun to me. And it was really the opportunity to create, which is what I really wanted to get down to with this topic was we talked about this a little bit with the is it okay to reference things or should you build your own things podcast? Sure. Like we did that episode. And I am 100% that guy that's like, no, don't do McDonald's. Do, you know, Jow Ronald's. Yeah. What's a Jow burger <laughs> look like? What does a Jow burger have on it? What is a Jow, you know, something like that. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people get caught up, especially filmmakers. I should say a lot of filmmakers because that's really what I know get caught up with the the idea of just basically remaking movies that they love 
Like they just take a movie and they say, oh, it's like this movie. And then it's like, well, what are you bringing to it? What are you changing about that? What are you adding to that movie? What are you or are you just remaking that movie? Like, which is often the case. (laughs) Yeah. And that's and that's, in my opinion, why a lot of movies fail. It's because a lot of people say I've seen this shit before. This is fucking Batman. Yeah, that's all this is. But when you turn it on its head or you add something new or you're like, wouldn't it be cool if Batman did this? Like suddenly a a whole world can open up. So like if Batman, even if you took Batman and put him in Metropolis, there's no fucking muggers in Metropolis. Like that's that's not the thing that happens there. You know, (laughs) how is Batman going to get the cat out of the tree? Does he give a shit? Like suddenly yeah. the character changes because of the world. So it's that's interesting, that's interesting to me. Because uh, I think I, I'm hoping I'm hoping that I'm saying this in correct context. But uh, George George R. R. Martin had talked about different kinds of writers, and so he's talking about the kind of writer that he is. And um, I'm not going to get this correct. I think he kind of described it as like gardening for him, where it's like he sets up the field, he sets up the ground level, and then lets things grow organically, and then okay. and then have the story form as it grows. So, in other words, sort of like you know, you can only plant certain kinds of crops, certain kinds of vegetables, certain kinds of plants on certain kinds of farm. Are you going to get different? Yeah flavors out of your vegetables depending on what the soil is like right right so when you're building you're kind of determining the the flavor from the get-go based on what the composition of that soil is you know part of that is determined by genre right uh so if you're saying like oh i want to do a science fiction story you've got to think really hard about some amount of groundedness you know there are ideally you want depending on the kind of sci-fi story if you're doing something like um 2001 a space odyssey i'm just pulling that one out because it's my favorite one but you got to have some kind of like solidity to what's going on so that it 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 has impact based on its believability it's it's dramas drawn from how realistic or how plausible the situation is Whereas, you know, something like, you know, Star Wars, it's it's barely sci-fi. It's sci-fi yeah. in the sense of the technology that's present. But, um, you know, it's a different kind of soil. It has a different kind of flavor. And so the way things pan out, the, the kind of decisions that are made, the sort of characters that you have are determined by that by that world that's built from the beginning, you know? Yeah. And then in that situation, it's like, this isn't even Earth. This isn't even our galaxy. So, like, throw out all that. Throw out that rule book entirely. We have a totally different rule book. And in this rule book, you know, instead of thinking about it from city to city, you're thinking about it from planet to planet. And instead of thinking about driving in a car, you're, like, you know, driving on a thing that hovers above ground or you're going at light speed in these tunnels of light, you know. So... All of that was determined from the beginning, from even just the idea of like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Whereas, you know, something like Spider-Man is just like, well, it's New York City. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's really different here is that somebody got bitten by a radioactive spider, <laughs> and now how does that yeah. work out, right? Right. Um, and so, and that is a that's a great that's actually a great example of world building in the sense that. Um, and this is this is going back to uh, an old professor of mine by the name of Tom Lyle, who had worked on Spider-Man. He had talked about how uh, he he talked about this in terms of getting students to like learn to be comfortable with drawing buildings, because he would often hit on this. Like when he was drawing Spider-Man, he would often repeat, "Look, when I was drawing Spider-Man, one of the major characters in Spider-Man was New York City, was the buildings in New York City, because that's what he was swinging around from." That was what demonstrated the size and impact of this place that he's in the Mm. amount of danger that's present like just the immensity of his task as a superhero was trying to like manage this giant fucking city and if you don't get that correct like same thing with batman right uh gotham city is this 
big city and you Gotham City is possibly even a more immense character in that sense because everything that Batman has to deal with pretty much like rises up from from Gotham City being what it is which right. is a, you know a kind of a crime ridden place and it has a lot of issues so <laughs> putting it lightly yeah, yes putting it lightly uh no that's absolutely uh the right way to look at it and i think a lot of a lot of people get, don't see the forest for the trees when it's coming to building the world around them they do get a little too focused on the character and the plot and they don't really look at the and like i i say this all the time um some of the best movies will inter- have characters interacting with the world around them so it's not just about the character relationships and the plot of what's happening but like when a character is in a room and they regard a smell and they're like well what what's that smell and then someone's like oh i'm cooking beef stew like suddenly you're you've created the atmosphere of that world and yeah. you know what i mean like that doesn't there's that doesn't happen a lot in a lot of stories on film and television like people don't acknowledge the world around them it's just hey this guy goes to the place and he talks to the girl it's just so two-dimensional and yeah. that's one of the reasons why the things don't resonate but when you start in interjecting the world into it it's the flavor of your story yeah it really is like, <laughs> like what is what is clerks without the quick stop you know oh, what yeah. i mean absolutely the and it, and then a step above that clerks too movies like opens up so many different things and the beautiful thing about it it just like goes back to when i was talking about like how would you make a jow burger or this or that kevin smith does pop-up movies like they mm-hmm. they actually make the restaurant how fun is that to invite like allow your audience to come and be be in that world yeah. even if for a half hour like that's the kind of stuff that I think people crave these days is like the getting into that immersive experience. And I think that's part of the world building that a lot of people, they either get too far into the weeds with it or they don't go far enough. Like, or they don't yeah. even look at it. Like it's not yeah, even because considered. You, you want to have, you definitely want to have um, that original sort of uh, decorations, not the right world. You, you want to have that original sort of like set piece to draw people in. So like another example would be like Rocket Pizza. I think that's the name of the place. Rocket Pizza and Toy Story. Yep. Where it's like, when I was a kid, the, all I could think about was like, how cool of a fucking arcade must that place be? Because you get all <laughs> these like, you get all these intimations of it. You don't get to see everything, but you get enough of it where you're like, whoa, this is like the craziest place ever if you're a kid at the time. Which, right. it works into the themes of the story. It works into... It ends up working into having like minor characters come in when you have the little like aliens from the claw machine. Um, and it kind of, and it further also is used to talk about the themes of like how fucking hard it is outside of Andy's room. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, as soon as, as soon as they leave Andy's room, the rest of the world is just, it's kind of in a sense of na- like a, a man versus nature story, but from a totally different perspective. It's a fish out of water, yeah. Yeah, where it's like, okay, remove from remove from their element, like Woody. Woody is screwed because the world outside of Andy's room is just this. It's like Gotham City for toys, basically. So, <laughs> I guess it comes down to though. I, I I think that's the thing is like if you are stuck with using a real world as your world, like a very grounded, relatable, real life world as your world. It's kind of like what you said with Spider-Man. You have to kind of make your character be the, the world building. If if that makes sense, like reverse it. Like they have to be the one that you have to develop as different. There has to be an element of different, whether it's in the world or the character. So I think it's, it's one or the other, either you develop a world that's new to the audience yeah. or you make the character, the fish out of water in the real world. Does that well, make that's sense? Like, uh, like X-Men's that way where it's like, well, imagine what the real world, imagine what your world would be like if suddenly, you know, mutants started to happen. Right. Right. And like it, 
the world of X-Men seems pretty much the same as ours for a while. And then you get into the like, well, what happens when politicians get involved and they decide like mutants are a problem or like what happens when you have corporations get involved and then suddenly, you know, you have people building machines to like try and kill the mutants and all this other stuff. So like uh, when talking about like world building, I think a lot of the time what you're talking about and what you're thinking about is just the logistics of how would things proceed from your normal everyday life if suddenly this big thing changed everything? Or if you're creating a totally different world, what would be the logistics of that world? And having to think about it in almost like meticulous scientific way where you're basically playing God, essentially. And you're having to think about, I mean... (laughs) Uh, there are people who get so meticulous into it where they're thinking about, you know, um, so for example, Dune, another story that I really like, um, part of the reason why a lot of people like that story is like Frank Herbert, it gets very meticulous in trying to describe like, what does the ecology of Arrakis look like? Because so much of the ecology of it is determined by these giant sandworms and so much of the economy of the empire that this is taking place in is determined by the sandworm uh, like life cycle so like if you're like you know part of the reason why i like it is it's a very super nerdy sort of uh elaborately thought out kind of process where as you get into it's like oh this seems very believable like i could imagine a place like this existing i could imagine this sort of economy existing i could imagine these sort of politics existing and then ends up being used to just elaborate on a, on a very basic human story. So, and that's, what's really unique about those kind of stories. Like not just like with Tolkien, but like with, with Herbert and Dune is like, you can make something that is very relatable for, for a lot of people even though what's happening and what's taking place in the place that it's happening is so alien. And for me, what I find always find appealing about that is the idea that like, um, there are universals to the world. Are there like things that are perennial that no matter, no matter where it's taking place, like, you know, imagining people living on Mars, like people living on Mars are going to have the same, are still going to have some of the same problems that we have here on earth and are still going to have the same, you know, dumb human drama issues that come up. So yeah. anyway, well that, and when I was going back to the, the cemetery romantic comedy that I was thinking about, I was thinking about, you know, how would I write for a trans person? And it wasn't hard for me to, relate to that situation where it's like you know at some point or uh, in my life i've not i've decided that i didn't like the person that i was like when i was depressed and i you know what i mean like and um i was overweight and all this kind of stuff and i just decided all right i'm gonna make a change because i'm not happy and i need to make myself happy so i started just applying those universal themes to the same situation and just kind of you know, put myself in their shoes kind of situation where it's like, okay, I get this. I understand. I under, like, I understand how to illustrate my problems through this particular character. Um, I don't know if it's particularly true. Uh, I'll have to bounce that off of some other people and find out right. if it is or not. Right. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I have an in, like I have like that mindset where I can do that. And I think that's really what it comes down to when you're writing is that you have to be able to step into your character's shoes for every character. We've talked about this before with like antagonists and stuff. Um, You know, why does the antagonist believe that what they're doing is right and why they're the good guy and why they have to do this and how they have to do it and so on and so forth. And when you build the world around it, you can, that's part of the fun of being a writer to me is entering into a world that I have created And thinking, well, what would I do in this situation? What would I, if I was a ghost, what, you know, I'd want to go haunt some people or something. And then come to find out, well, no, there's a rule about that. And, you know, if you do the rule, then this happens. And then, you know, it's weird to make rules to limit myself and my creativity. But at the same time, I still find that fun where it's like, oh, no, I can't do that. 
Uh, why not? Because this terrible thing will happen. Okay, boom. Not only have I limited myself, but now I've created stakes. Like, peril for my characters. So, like, the idea of if you leave the cemetery as a ghost, um, you go to heaven or hell. So, like, that's where the gate thing came in or whatever. But then I also was thinking about the idea of, um, well, what if, like, a loved one came at the middle of the night and they saw me as a ghost and I could talk to them and say, hey, can you have my body exhumed and cremated and then scatter my ashes in a movie theater so I can just watch movies all day and... Like, that'll be my my afterlife or something. And then you kind of find out, you know, that's what happens with lost souls. Like, when your body, when you're disturbed after being laid to rest or whatever, then, like, you get lost in, like, an ether or, like, a, you know, a, a, no one knows what happens to you. Like, that kind of yep. stuff becomes interesting because then you're, again, developing the world. And then you allow the characters to make choices in that world. And then you have new opportunities that are fresh to explore character archetypes and stuff like that. Well, you know, maybe we have like a Batman archetype and well, what would Batman do in that situation? Well, he might do something different. Well, what about Superman? Yeah. He might do something different. What about Willy Wonka? He would do something different. Like, so it, it that to me is the fun. That's where writing creativity really gets to be fun. And it doesn't, Suddenly, I think that's the that I think this is what it's boiling down to for me. Creating the world is the key to overcoming writer's block. Because when you don't know what to write about, if you've got a world, if you can create a world and it, it's again, it literally comes down to what would I do if I had my own burger joint? You suddenly <laughs> can start thinking of the problems that come along with that, especially with, oh, I would only use high-end beef. Well, if I use high-end beef, then I have to have high prices. Well, then I only get asshole, you know, richy rich clients. Yeah. That's not what I want to do. But then if I lose money, then I don't have a house. And, it, like, you start thinking all, through all the problems and stuff. And that one step leads to another and another and another. And that's how you overcome a writer's block thing. So if it's like – if you come to a point in your story where you don't know what happens next, you need to step back and not look at your characters, not look at your plot, look at your world. Look at the world surrounding it and say, okay, what opportunities, what limitations, what challenges, what benefits, what are all the things that are in this world that stand out and make this unique? Because that's what you want to play on. That's why I go to the movies. That's why I open up a book. That's why I turn on the TV. I want to see something, even as mundane. You look at something like The Office, it's a paper company, right? right. And they're they are able to <laughs> they are able to take the most mundane, boring things that are in our world that we all take for granted, and they wring stories out of them. It's like, okay, well, Jim and Dwight have to go and get a, a Christmas tree. Well, okay, they don't have money for a real tree, so they got a fake tree. Okay. Jim had an idea because everybody's been angry and grouchy and they, he wants Pam to have a good Christmas. We're all going to decorate the tree together. Well, no one's happy with that. Like, yeah. just by entering that world. Yeah, that's definitely a story where the entire, I mean, pretty much the entire story revolves around that office. And right. that office becomes the world at which everything is defined. And I think that's another interesting part of it. This is going back to sort of uh, where the office becomes a character because you can... I think a lot, anybody who's watched that show can kind of think of all the particular set pieces, you know, yes. like the front desk or uh, Michael Scott's office or like the meeting room. They all have their particular looks and they all have their particular feelings. They're all like they're characters. Yes, exactly. And they're characters that set that pretty much set the stage for the other characters that allow mm -hmm. for you know, all the things that take place within any given scene or story. Yep. And I think that's the beauty. That's where opportunity lies for a writer is within your story. So if you, again, if you have writer's block, look at your world. And if your world isn't giving you the answer, you haven't developed yeah. it enough or you're yeah. not looking at it well enough. You're not looking yeah. at the itty gritty. You're not because if you're, the weeds. if you're doing it appropriate, and I think this is what you've been describing to you in the, and in describing uh, cemetery sweethearts is it becomes a feedback loop because yeah. what happens is like, okay. And you start thinking about, you know, how, 
a particular situation happens between two characters and then you can always feed that back into the running premise of the world that you've created. And yep. so like, I mean, for myself, for trailer park warlock, like there's so much that I get from even just, I try, I often have to keep myself from going too far of getting out of, because the story primarily takes place in Colorado Springs. And I am constantly trying to have to rein in myself from going further outside because I want to, I want to personally see what the rest of that world looks like. You know what I mean? So like, the 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 probably the most well, I shouldn't say that I've I've explored way outside of that I've gone to like Louisiana like in this story Louisiana is like um, largely populated by people called feeders who are essentially uh, they're part of a giant religious sect that. Um, has a spell that makes them look like vampires. And so they think of themselves as vampires. They live like vampires, but by all technicalities, biologically, they are not vampires. They are not. <laughs> <laughs> but That's they great. have every other aspect of it. So, um, and, you know, I, I, and then there's another area in Colorado called the Backroads. And the Backroads is like this uh, interdimensional area where if you enter, you go where the elves live. And the elves in the Backroads, they're literally like, for them, they live their life 24-7 like they're at Burning Man. So, like, all they do is dance and listen to EDM, and, like, that's their entire life in their world. And so, for me, I'm like, oh, I want to, like, and I've had people ask these questions where it's like, well, what's, like, the West Coast like in this world? Or, like, what's, you know, you know, what are all these particular, what's every state like in this world? And I'm like, I'd love to know, too. I just, I, I kind of have to focus on, like, what's going on with Jake Baker, you know, and, and resolve that before I ever look further into that. So, well, that's the beauty though. I think sometimes is like when you have different set pieces, yeah. you look at something like Batman begins, like he's traveling in, I want to say the far East in the beginning. <clears throat> and then he's in Gotham and different Different set pieces, even within those two realms, like whether he's in, you know, Ra's al Ghul's training facility, or if he's in the boardroom at, at Wayne Enterprises, or if he's at the Batcave, they all take an opportunity to examine the theme and character in a different angle. Like he, it's looking at different different angles on the same theme. So, you know, the idea of vengeance and, you know, overcoming personal fear and stuff like that. Um, undoing wrongs, things like that. Like all these themes that are explored over the, the larger umbrella of the story, they are ins by allowing, by going to a different environment within the same world, you can look at the theme and illustrate it better. And I think that's the best way to communicate with an audience is if they maybe don't get it in one particular setting or even two or three, yeah. the fourth setting might be the one that unlocks it. And it's like, oh, I get that because you're kind of scattershotting what's like trying to relate to your audience because no two people have had all the same experiences. But there's a good bet that most of us have had one or two experiences that we, again, can all universally relate to. Once you get that road in, they understand what you're saying. And then when they can go back and watch it again, they can say, all right, this is what I learned from that. If I apply it to this scene where is it in this scene? It's like a where's Waldo of themes. And yeah. you start looking for it and you're like, okay, they, that's what he's talking about there. So, okay, this means that, that means that. And you can start, it's like a back and forth with your audience member and they can start painting a picture. So this goes back to our, our discussion about like pseudonyms and stuff where you can influence a discussion with your audience through your art as opposed to your personal life, which whatever it is. And you can make arguments that somebody might just outright disagree with on the surface because maybe they haven't lived that experience or haven't seen that particular thing happen or experienced or whatever. And you can start kind of painting, no pun intended, painting pictures for people to kind of get it. And that I think is the opportunity that the world provides when you switch those set pieces. So the idea that you're building a world with different types of people, I mean, you're, you're, story is basically comedy so you have an opportunity to do a lot of satire and yeah. you know that kind of thing 
by moving to different areas of the world and showing different groups of people and showing how they react to things and so on and so forth. And then, you know, above it all else, though, you're really kind of painting a picture of someone kind of in their journey to, to find out who they are and how they fit in and if, you know, their worth and all this kind of stuff. All that stuff starts falling into place while you're saying it's like talking on every medium at once. And it's such a freeing thing for an artist. Yeah. Because I think all of us have so much that we want to say. And it's like, well, what do I say first? And <laughs> you can communicate on so many different levels when you're doing something like that with the world. Um, and I think that's one of the, the things that people should look at when they're examining building the world around it is like, how can I make sure that I can shift this a little bit for each different scenario? You know what yep. I mean? So it doesn't yep. get repetitive and redundant. We go back to the fundamentals or the principles of art that we went over in that podcast. And you know what I mean? Like you want to have that variety, but you also want to have some harmony going on in it too. And that's really important when you're doing something like that. Because if you really thought about like what you said, becoming God, yeah, you decide where that building goes. You decide why it goes there. You decide how tall it is, what color they paint it. Like, People do this shit for a living, just one job, and you have to do all of them. You have to hire the janitor and decide why that janitor's there and why he's got to push that push broom and why, you know, he doesn't have time to stay late this week or something like that. Like, you are God, and that's a lot of responsibility, and I think you have to do it. You cannot be lazy. <laughs> Even if you're For using sure. like a real world, like as a basis, like you're just living in, uh, you're writing in the real world. It's very grounded. Yep. You still got to do it. You still have to do all those. Oh, well, I mean, something I was thinking about while you were. Uh, while I was ranting. Well, no, because something that came to my mind that is kind of another half of world building is when you're portraying a place and you're trying to be 100% accurate about it. You're still world building, but in this in this sense, like what you're thinking about when you're building that world is how do I how do I make sure I'm taking a a hundred percent accurate picture? So, for example, um, a TV show that I've long liked is a is an HBO show called Treme. It's a uh, by the guy who guy who did The Wire. I haven't actually seen The Wire. I feel like I need to watch it at some point, but uh, the the production on it, I felt like I had watched probably one of the most honest stories about Louisiana. And I was blown away about it because, like, mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is 100%, not just New Orleans, but, like, Louisiana. Like, I felt like I was watching a show that somebody who lived in Louisiana made it. And I think I'm of the opinion that probably somebody on the production, you know, There would... was, like, a, uh, a consultant. Yeah, like, but inevitably i mean our in in other words like in order to do that you have to talk to a lot of people and get like their story and get their opinion and get their perspective i'm like yeah this is what it's like living here let me show you some locations that would be great for like these scenes that you're thinking about for these characters that you want to portray like um so i say that in other words of like if you're going to tell uh, something based on a true story, you're going to have to do the homework of like figuring out what was the actual place this took place at. What did this person actually look like? You're going to have to dig through so much like, you know, photos and read biographies and all this other stuff to actually nail it. Mm -hmm. And that is world building because that's like your base are in another way. It's also kind of like editing too going back to a previous topic in that you're taking all these different interpretations of something that happened in the world and you're trying to meld it together into one coherent event that portrays it in a way that if you're going for a journalistic angle, which is what I feel like Treme tried to do. It was from a journalistic angle of like saying this is to the best of my ability of trying to portray to you what life in this city is like or what life in during this particular period of time was like. I mean, like I definitely admire people who make um, either biopics or like 
stories about, you know, particular areas who do that research and do that homework and actually really nail it. Because when they nail it, it's like, you feel like you're there. You know yeah. what I mean? That's world building. Like you want to create something where when the person enters into the story, they feel like they're there, you know? I like think that's, I think the, the the interesting thing about being there that yeah. you bring up, uh, going back to Star Wars, I think the reason why, and this is just you know my own personal reason because I know this is a hot topic debate, twenty four seven forevermore, why the original trilogy is better than the prequel trilogy is that the original trilogy has an aesthetic aesthetic of lived in, like there are dusts on the robots like yeah. there's scrapes and marks and things like that whereas the prequels everything's pristine and aesthetic like completely brand new and it does not feel natural at all it doesn't feel organic you step back you're like that's not how the world is even like the brand new things well brand new things that are so clean and shiny and pure are few and far between you know what i mean like you need to cherry pick when that happens. And like, so like in the original trilogy, you look at something like um, the Havana gas mines with Lando Calrissian. Those were very clean and pristine and everything like that. But if you compare that to Tatooine, you know, it's dusty and dirty and all that kind of stuff. There's that balance. And then you have Endor. It's very gritty. And that, you know what I mean? You have Hoth. It's really cold and everything's kind of frozen and locked up and stuff. They, he was able to pair, uh, cherry pick when to use that aesthetic. And then when he went and did the prequels, everything was clean. And I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. That's, like, it doesn't feel right. And you can't get immersed in that world yeah. because of that. And I feel like that's yeah. part of the problem with those movies is that everyone can't immerse themselves in that world anymore. It's not the world that they know, especially in Star Wars. That's part of the thing is you've established a world now you have to maintain it. You can't break from the established world. And if you do, you need to have a damn good reason, whether it's time travel or, uh, you know, an alternate dimension. But you even look at Back to the Future and even there that even in the 50s and Back to the Future, they still had a very similar aesthetic than they, that they did in the 80s part of the film. Like it's yeah. still there's uh, we talk again, harmony. That that's one of the principles of design. You it feels still like have a to... continuity, right? Yeah, and that's I think that's very important to consider when you're yeah. building a world. Is that yeah, you gotta you gotta make it different, but also the same. Right. I, I don't know yeah. how to be a bigger hypocrite when I say that, but it's true. It's just it's absolutely true, and that I think is the challenge of being a good artist. Like everyone's like, oh, you can be an artist. I can just come up with shit and blah blah blah. No, <laughs> there's. There are rules that you have to abide by that are really fucking hard. And that's the challenge. And the artists are the ones who can overcome those rules and find the ways around it. My wife hates me because I'm always finding technicalities to win the arguments. And I'm right. And she can't argue it because I'm so creatively good at just navigating (laughs) how to win that argument. And that's that I think is the creative gene that artists have that other people don't. And it's like, okay, you know, you got to do this and you have to make it believable. That's the big thing. You have to make it understandable by your audience and they have to feel like you're not lying to them. Cause at the end of the day, we're craving authenticity. We want to feel like we're, like you said, like we're in that world. Uh, whether it's because we want to step outside of our own world because we're got a lot going on or we're bored and looking for an adventure. It, yep. it's just one of those reasons, but the world itself is important to a story. And if it's not, you need to think about how important your character is in that world and start tweaking there. That's just my two cents. Did you have anything you wanted to throw in while we wrap up? No, I think that, I think you covered it really well. Um, like, I, like we've both been saying in order to make something that is a compelling piece of art, a piece of work, like you need to make something that's like, that is immersive. And, what we've all been or what we've both been describing this whole time is just like in order to create that immersion you have to have some basic rules yes and from those basic rules you can build everything else but you need to make sure that those basic rules are integrated in a way 
that they make sense, they're coherent, they don't have to be too complicated, or they can be as complicated as you want, but so long as everything... I think the more simple together. they are, the better off you yes. are. But uh, I yes. think the, the simpler they are, the more maneuverability you have in your create, you have more creative license yeah. while you're while you're writing, and I think that that's okay. But you also have to put limits on your characters, and I think that's part of the important part of the rule yeah. is that if you have to put them in the box, um, and that's where fun comes from for you as the yeah. writer, and you know that's that's a whole other topic. But um, I think we kind of nailed this in a perfect hour. I think we. Uh, I think we've got it. So if you uh, are having struggles with world building, uh, hopefully we've helped you out with some of our tips and tricks right here. If you're having a problem with writer's block, this is where you go. This is the keys to getting through that. Uh, create something in your world, if you haven't already, um, that can fall into your character's lap or they can go to or something. Yeah. Um, that will continue your theme and give them opportunities to make choices and you know def that'll define your character and it'll move your plot forward and so on and so forth but it, it does come back to the world and uh i really i really think we've nailed this one i don't even for the first time ever rainwater i don't think we need to come back to this topic in a future podcast <laughs> i think we got it i think we got it too yeah cool we nailed it all right we'll see everybody next week peace